You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Visit John Harris from the Texans broadcast crew and provide your fantasy fix with Michael Harmon. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Peter King from MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. So J.J. Watt undeniably is on his way to the Hall of Fame, but considering he's missed so many games the last couple years with the back injury, now the leg injury, is it fair to wonder about his football future? I think it's very fair to wonder about it. Uh, you know, you look at you look at J.J. Watt, and to me, I, I would agree with you. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, so what happens if he never plays another game? Is he a Hall of Fame player? And I said, boy, that's – I think what, what you have to look at is, you know, Terrell Davis. So Terrell Davis has three great years, three all-time years, and then a pretty good year, and that's it. And I mean, he played some other games, but that's the extent of his career, and he was voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know, J.J. Watt had five, I'd say four mega-impact years. Okay, better at all, all in all, all things considered, that uh, at, in those four years than Terrell Davis was in his four, although Davis was tremendous. And, and uh, you know, three times he's defensive player of the year, Watt is. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen to him, but the fact that, uh, that he basically is going to miss 11 games this year after missing um, – after missing 13 games last year, you know, then you start to say to yourself, okay, he's going to, over a two-year period, he's going to play in one quarter of his team's games, and he's going to have a devastating injury to come back from in 2018. I think it's fair to ask uh, whether, and he, and he was not playing at his level this year that he played at the last couple of years. So, or that he played at in like in 14 or 15. So my only, I, 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 I think his, his claim to immortality is fair, but is he going to be great again? I, I think that's up for debate. Peter, good to hear from you as usual. Um, Adrian Peterson, um, I, I know he's, he's at the father time in the game of football life now, and, and many are writing him off because he's 32 years old, the injuries that he's had. How big of a move is this for Adrian Peterson's career as he actually walks his way out of the league over the next few years to be able to leave from a New Orleans Saints team that's not really favoring backs the way they once did when they had their Super Bowl run to now being a part of an Arizona team where he's really needed because David Johnson gone is gone as well as Chris Johnson? Yeah, well, you know, Cordell, I, I look at the Cardinals right now, and they are – Without David Johnson, they're the worst running team in the league right now. They have been awful. They've been just awful. And so my my question about uh, about Adrian Peterson, okay, he's 32 years old. His last great game was 23 months ago, late in the 2015 season. 
when he was 30 and a half years old. And now he's 32 and a half years old. So I'm not, I'm not saying he's finished, but I'm saying that he's not going into a great situation. He's going into a situation where their running game has been stuck in cement and their, their run blocking is quite suspect. So, uh, I mean, you know, could he be great? Could he make a great impact? I, I, I mean, I guess he could. I think the odds are stacked against him. Peter King, MMQB, is our guest every Tuesday and then Sunday. Please join us on First and Goal. Upgrade the TuneIn Premium right now for seven hours of commercial-free live listen-ins around the league. Peter, we have the memo from Commissioner Roger Goodell with the quote, everyone should stand for the national anthem. Is this the precursor to the NFL adopting the NBA's rule that everyone's going to have to be mandated to stand for the anthem? Um, well... I think that's a complicated answer, but in a simple answer, the answer is yes. But I think that this is not simply that kind of that kind of issue because I believe that Goodell and the owners next Tuesday are going to reach out to the players and say, "We're going to give you X, Y, and Z if you'll stand for the anthem." It's a slippery slope. It really is. Uh, because I do think that if players uh, continue to go on this path and, you know, ratings are going down, but not just for the anthem reasons, but for other reasons too, if you continue to go down this path, in my opinion, you are, uh, you know, as players, you're going to start to see anyway some advertisers jumping off the ship. And if they start jumping off the ship, you then have to ask yourself whether that's worth it because then the potential implications on the salary cap are big. And so, you know, I think players, because to me, Brian, players starting on September 12th, Roger Goodell, Malcolm Jenkins, and several uh, activist players met in Philadelphia, and they began to discuss what can we do to help you with your causes that you find important. And the fact is, when that happened, the NFL started was sending out an olive branch to say, we're willing to do something. We will help you with this, with your causes. Now, I think the, the owners are going to say, okay, we'll help you with your causes. But if we help you with your causes, we need a full buy-in on standing for the anthem. And that, I think, is going to be difficult because there are some players who I don't think they're going to respond well to this. And, you know, like, will Marshawn Lynch automatically stand? I doubt it. So then what will the league do if they adopt this thing? Will they give them a couple of fines and then maybe suspend them? They might. I, I, you know, so this is really a developing story, and I don't know what's going to happen. Ultimatums are never good when you're dealing with grown men, especially men who are making well over a million bucks a year. But you can also have conversations that I think can get to that place of resolution. But... Speaking of, of, of a player that's really playing good football, and, and I don't think no one's talking about it enough, Alex Smith. How yeah. good is he right now, Peter, when it comes down to the things that he's accomplished and also had to overcome, whether it's through the draft pick that they've picked up uh, with Kansas City with the young kid Patrick Mahomes, to putting up 11 touchdowns in the air, one on the ground, and, 
and numbers are about as good as it can get, similar to comparable to what Matt Ryan did last year when he became the MVP, having 12 touchdowns and 69% passer completion, but now you have Alex Smith with 77. I mean, I guess I would here's, – here's the thing I would say, Cordell. I mean, as impressive as his completion percentage is, his completion percentage paired with 8.8 yards per attempt. I mean, 8.8 yards per attempt is Dan Fouts' area, you know, is, is, a, is the area of quarterbacks who throw the ball downfield well. Consider, I, was, I looked this up earlier today, so I, I, I've got it. Consider that this is Alex Smith's fifth year in Kansas City. In his previous four years, his average yards uh, per attempt, okay, which is a, a stat that, that NFL teams really treat as gospel, 6.8, 7.2, 7.6, 7.0 last year. Okay? And, you know, so now you look at it, and to go up to 8.8, it's a gigantic jump for him, and that means that he understands to keep this job or to get a big contract somewhere else, he better start throwing the ball downfield more efficiently and more accurately. That's exactly what he's done. Peter, tremendous information as always. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll chat with you Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. Great to be with you guys. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones. You just flip a switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise. Lose the wires. Lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's break down America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, thanks for taking the time. We know there's still a lot of football to be played, but how disheartening has it been to see the Cowboys give up double-digit leads at home the last two weeks? Well, I think the, not only that, I think the, uh, the disheartening thing is the fact that they've been able to score 30 points in consecutive weeks and have gotten beaten. You know, I went back and kind of went through the, uh, all the schedules over the years, and I don't think I found one time that they've scored 30 consecutive points in, uh, in two games and got beat in both games. So uh, that, that's the one that's hard to take. You know, sometimes those leads are somewhat uh, deceiving when you've got a lead and then the other team gets the ball first time in the, in the uh, third quarter at the kickoff and they narrow it. So, uh, to me, the two things that are discouraging about what's happened is both games were quite winnable. Both times you scored 30 points, which should be enough to win, and both times you allowed the opponent to rush for at least at least 160 yards, and that's a recipe for uh, defeat in the National Football League. When you watch Coach Marinelli defenses uh, over the past couple years, uh, particularly going back to the postseason game against Green Bay and also this last one, why hasn't he had someone mirroring Aaron Rodgers? Because on third down, he's become one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the game because there's no one capable or they're implementing anything in the defense 
that says, I am going to mirror Aaron Rodgers wherever he goes. Because when there's no one there, you have the containment on the edges are, are, are out of position. What does he do? He gets outside the pocket. He ends up completing passes down the field, similar to what we saw during the postseason last year when they played him and also in this last game. Well, Cordell, if you go back and watch uh, what happened on his 18-yard run, uh, they sent a running back uh, across the formation. I mean, the, the Cowboys' defensive formation. And both linebackers went with Aaron Jones. That's not the way he devised the offense, right? Right, right. The linebacker, the linebacker that he first came across and then uh, cut to his right went with him. And then the linebacker that was next to that guy went with him also, which left the whole side of the field wide open once he got outside the defensive end. So that linebacker was supposed to pass that guy off, I imagine. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I know darn well they didn't design a defense that both linebackers were supposed to go with the running back crossing away from where uh, where uh, he went. So uh, that's a that's a significant problem with the alignment. Chatting with Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com. Check out the great, unique content on the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey, obviously, as you just demonstrated, you're watching these games very closely. So beyond the stats and the record, how do you think the Cowboys are playing after five games compared to the start of last season? Well, obviously not well enough when you're sitting there at 4-1 and one last year uh, on a four-game winning streak, and here you're sitting there uh, at 2-3, and three, and you let really two games uh, get away from you. you know, I can handle the loss in Denver. Uh, that's fine. But uh, when you score 30 and 31 points and you outgain the opponent in total yards, uh, you should be able to win the ball game. So uh, the, the, the worry at this point is, not only is the defense giving up too many points, but the offense and special teams has given up too many points. You know, we talked about last week how uh, the Los Angeles Rams uh, scored 13 points, three possessions uh, on an interception, uh, a kickoff return uh, for 66 yards, which was a, a layup uh, field goal. And then and, and the interception was a quarterback getting hit from behind and then a muff punt. Uh, that all they had to go was 18 yards. So basically they gained 31 yards for 13 points. And in this one, they got a backers got an interception return for a touchdown. And what was the difference in the game? Five, four, three points. And, and you gave them seven. Aaron Rodgers certainly doesn't need any charity. The Cowboys cannot continue to have turnovers and mistakes like that. When you're not getting any for your own team, there's never a short field for this offense. They're always driving, and they've done a pretty good job. It hasn't been, uh, I guess, equitable between halves, but they've been driving the football. They score 30 points. you got to win. Yeah, you do, and I think the defense has to make stops, and because they can't make stops, I think is why we see this offense having to be methodical in their approach, meaning, you know, where there's a lot of Ezekiel Elliott, some scrambling from Dak Prescott, some playmaking out of Des Bryant and Cole Beasley and Jason Witten, and trying to have those eight to 10, maybe 12 play drives where you're eating up five plus minutes off of the clock. If they can find a way to master that recipe of football, let's just say the entire team, 
I think this team can really be good, but it's going to have to be a situation, as you just alluded to a moment ago, the defense is going to have to create some turnovers or even best or worst case scenario, let's just say, create field position uh, for this offense to continue to score because if the offense goes one, two, three and out, I'm afraid to allow the defense to step on the football field because they may end up scoring a touchdown on them real quick and the score may get really out of hand. And one of the things that created that second half imbalance was the Packers got the ball first. Uh, they, they basically drove for a field goal. The Cowboys got the ball, uh, three plays, got a first down, and then three plays more, they had to punt. And then the Packers got the ball. And here was one, you know, there's always kind of one play in the game that you go, boy, that really turned things around. The Cowboys had sacked Aaron Rodgers at the two-yard line. It should have been third and 20 from the two, uh, and they get called for a late hit uh, on the quarterback. Uh, 15-yard penalty, right? He, number one, he, he grounded the football. They didn't call that. They called the sack. And if you go back and look at it, when, when the head official blew his whistle, Vincent Mayoa was already on top of Rodgers. So they got a raw deal there, by the way. But instead of third and 20 at the two, it's first and 10 at the 17, and they proceed to continue on a 14-play touchdown drive. Now the third quarter's over. So the Cowboys touched the ball once in the third quarter. Yeah, It's almost like volleyball, right? Because they're in the situation where if it's your serve, you better score. Uh, otherwise, you're in trouble, and that's exactly what happened uh, during that sequence there. Then they drive the ball for eight minutes and 43 seconds, right? Eight minutes and 43 seconds. Well, unfortunately, they didn't go nine minutes and 43 seconds because they scored the touchdown to take the lead, and now the criticism is, well, you scored too soon. Well, when you're behind and you're behind by four, you got to score. You can't come out perfectly and say, well, well you know what? I think I'll just play a little four corners offense here and then we'll, we'll score with 15 seconds to go. You know, I think you guys know it doesn't work that way. Uh, and, and, and to me, the worst, uh, you know, the worst problem would have been if you dilly dallied around because you wanted to eat up the clock and then you don't score at all and you lose by four points. No bye week when it comes to the outstanding analysis from Mickey Spagnola. Mickey, thanks so much for the insights. We'll chat with you next week here on the NFL on TuneIn. Good to be with you guys. See ya. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones. You just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life, lose the noise, Lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy Fantasy Fix. 
bring in another person that we saw sashaying his way across Radio Row in Houston, donning a chapeau. Nice fedora like Jake and Elwood Blues. It's our friend Mike Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Michael, let me put it on a tee for you. The pride of Chicago, Mitchell Trubisky. Look pretty good. I know about your toys, uh, ties to the land of Lincoln and Illinois. Even though he doesn't have any receivers, what's the fantasy value for Trubisky moving forward? Well, that becomes the interesting part of this entire process, right? Who's he throwing the ball to? And I'll tell you, that 20-yard dart to Zach Miller, because that's what we're going to call it today, the day after, as people forget about the tip drill. Uh, That 20-yard dart to Zach Miller was the beginning of wonderful things. Accuracy early, a couple of plays called back due to penalty. Also, Jordan Howard owners still... You know, shaking their fists and being angry uh, over the holding call that took off that 42-yard touchdown. But get good balance with the running game. I think McBride's a guy that, even though only one catch, you, you saw that they were at least looking for him downfield. So we we hang a star on him going forward for Trubisky for fantasy purposes right now. He'll stay on the waiver wire as one to watch down the road as the next round of injuries occur. Mike, when you look at what Cam Newton has been able to do over some time, especially in key moments of the game, he's going to Greg Olson a lot. But being that he is sidelining, Ed Dixon has come in and had a breakout game. Uh, do you think he's a guy that can continue that sort of production? Here we go. It's the last week. It was uh, Mercedes Lewis. This week, it's Ed Dixon. Uh, just guys that have been around a while waiting to see if you're going to get any level of consistency out of him. And to this point with Ed Dixon, it's it's not been there, right? And you look back at his career in Baltimore, the the high target of 89 and and 54, that goes all the way back to 2011. So we we keep an eye on the tight end position because we have so many uh, injuries thus far. So perhaps in a streamer or daily fantasy situation, you're taking a look, but I think you probably want to see it happen again, looking at – 11 receptions on 14 targets thus far, uh, averaging 24 yards per game. Not world-beating, but certainly something we put him up uh, in the watch column to see if Cam Newton's rise continues beyond week two. Certainly a much, much different animal this past week in terms of the defense he was facing and expectations. So Newton on the upward swing, perhaps he takes Dixon along for the ride. Fancy Fix with our great friend Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, I know you listen to the program just about every minute you can. Coming up, final hour of the show, 625 Eastern Time. We're breaking down the Texans when John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network. Houston's offense, thanks to Deshaun Watson's come alive. They're averaging 29 points a game. How big of a fantasy impact is Will Fuller going to have in the weeks to come? Got to be excited about it for the fact that, you know, as much as we, we've celebrated the offense and, and what Watson's become, you look at the attrition on defense, they're going to have no choice but to keep pushing the ball downfield. And, and that's the one thing you were waiting on for Fuller. We saw it here uh, his second week back with the 48-yarder. Uh, certainly the touchdown receptions will wane, but you're going to get a decent target count each night uh, that they're out. And certainly he, he keeps defenses honest that Watson with that big arm is going to take some shots downfield. So target count is going to be fun to watch going forward. And I think this is a guy that must be owned in leagues, if nothing else, stashed as a defensive play uh, against your competitors. After a big game with the Colts, is Marlon Mack a guy to target moving forward? You know, I have a partial tattoo of Marlon Mack on my left calf. Uh, it's absolutely and you have a large calf, Mike. That's yeah, probably well, you know, pretty I, noticeable. I'm trying to get, get, get that helmet on there all the way right now. He was a guy that uh, in the preseason, if we do the old man crush thing, that was a guy I was excited to see. Why? As much as we, we love the 
consistency and the workmanlike status of Frank Gore all these years. He's a guy that you marvel at at the fact that he's been able to stay healthy and keep rolling. Uh, you need more explosiveness, and particularly with Andrew Luck nowhere in sight, you got to find a guy who can break loose and give you some big plays, and that's where Mac comes in. He got 10 touches, 92 yards this past week. That role will be at least equal going forward, if not larger, uh, as Jacoby Brissett keeps this team rolling forward. I, th- I think Marlon Mack's a guy that's going to be a, a second running back on most rosters here going forward. Astute analysis as always. You know I'm going to jump on Mac and spin it forward. What's the better old school song? Return to the Mac or This Is How We Do It? Montel Jordan. Well, This Is How We Do It is something that gets everybody to try to get a little bit of hip swivel going, no matter who they are, uh, from age 5 to 95. So uh, we'll go with that one. Well, Back it looked to you, like, Bordell. Excuse my turn? Is it my turn? Is it me? You didn't, you didn't expect that right answer. No. I didn't expect that one. I did not. I didn't. <laughs> Return to the Mac, a little hip movement. I got that. Uh, it looked like Derrick Henry may have had the opportunity uh, to take the job with the Titans as the starting running back, but has DeMarco Murray held him off and even grabbed more control of that role? Well, that's going to be interesting to watch going forward as we wait week to week as to how quickly Marcus Mariota gets back in the mix because, well, you're going to look at a lot of two-step, and when you go to the second quarterback, I think that's where the veteran running back gets his nod and and, and keeps rolling. So, you know, with DeMarco Murray, he limits his, his touches, bits and pieces, and what we're seeing right now is an odds and even type thing in terms of his carry count. Uh, and certainly we put a star on the – Houston game where they got absolutely obliterated where he only had nine touches along the way Uh, but certainly not the number one running back everybody anticipated the yards per carry average has has been uh, vacillating so we'll we'll look at him as a high end two uh, but still very curious to see how Henry's worked in as the season goes on because Murray's not going to be able to run the ball 15 to 20 times a game. Talking fantasy football with one of the best in the business Michael Harmon SwollenDome.com Mike Cordell's a fantasy analyst, and he doesn't even know it. I mentioned we had a conversation with Aaron Jones, one of 82 people we spoke to that week on Radio Row in Houston. Cordell Googled him as we were chatting, pulled up some tape of what he did at UTEP, and he liked his running style. So Cordell knew even before he was in the NFL, Jones was going to be impactful. Are you going to keep him, or do you stash him over on the waiver wire when Ty Montgomery comes back? No, he's going to have a role even when Montgomery comes back. So too much uh, explosiveness and the ability between the tackles uh, through his two games that he's played. Amazingly, coming into the waiver wires that will clear later on tonight into Wednesday, he's still available in almost 40% of leagues, which is absolutely amazing given the expectations and the the high number uh, that we all – all the prognosticators put on that Dallas-Green Bay game that you'd see enough touches and opportunities for him. So I'm surprised he didn't get a much bigger play on the wire. Uh, I suspect that ends when, when waivers clear tonight, regardless of whether Ty Montgomery comes back, because you're not going to rush him back with multiple broken ribs. You'll, you'll see more of Jones at least for the next couple of weeks, uh, and certainly where the state of running backs are. We're talking about Murray. We're talking about other players uh, scuffling and not having that consistency of workload, at least in Green Bay, you know, they're putting up points. When you think about the Giants, I mean, this past weekend, it was like those the receivers on the outside were dropping like flies. And Odell Beckham, of course, with his injury, he's out uh, pretty much for the year. Is there a receiver on the Giants roster now that is even worth owning? Well, I'm putting the preemptive 
strike in for either uh, T.O. or Orocho Cinco, just so I can have some entertainment. Uh, it's Evan Ingram and nobody else. Because, right, Eli Manning's got a neck thing. We may be seeing Geno Smith here before it's all said and done. Uh, this is one that, uh, at this point, we're taking a couple of weeks to see if somebody emerges as at least a guy garnering targets. Because we can't predict the outcome, but as long as you're getting a sizable workload on a week-to-week basis, we go with the old blind squirrel finds a nut uh, theory of things. So, uh, for now, it's, it's Evan Ingram with his target count. And even this past week, 0 for 4, but prior to that, 4 or more catches four straight games uh we'll put him on the board and uh everything else uh, just grab your popcorn and watch something else michael great information as always i'm trying to get that image of you swiveling your hips out of my mind but i'll play <laughs> along i mean it, it really does it's like a clock right it's and now i've, I've hypnotized you and I, i'm ready to take over the world johnny wishbone i've been hypnotized what's the better <laughs> song heading into the weekend johnny kemp friday night just got paid or everybody's working for the weekend lover boy uh, lover boy. No, the answer sure is just got Johnny paid Johnny Friday Kemp. night. That's well, when you I get paid that. on Friday I mean, night. It's, it's either that or it's five o'clock somewhere. If you want to throw in the great drinking songs of Jimmy Buffett along the way, <laughs> that's why you're the best. Thank you, Michael. Peace and love. See you guys next week. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones. You just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life, lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on the Texans with Houston sideline analyst John Harris. John, thanks so much for taking the time. So since we spent a couple days together at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia, covering those joint practices between the Texans and the Patriots. You know we try to dig deeper on this show. Let's put Deshaun Watson in context. How many franchise quarterbacks have the city of Houston ever have? I'm going to go old school, Dan Pastorini, Warren Moon on his way to the Hall of Fame with the Oilers. Who else do you want to put on that list? I don't think there's anybody else, Brian, you can't put on that list. Matt Schaub had a couple of good years and strung together – a couple of Pro Bowl campaigns, but that's about where it stops. I mean, you talk about young rookie quarterbacks. You're talking about Pastorini, who came in 71. You're talking about Warren Moon, who was not a rookie, but he came in 83. And that's it. Other than that, this city has been dying for a quarterback. And there was so much excitement when Deshaun was drafted, but the team was very quick to say, look, Tom Savage is our starter, and that's that. And if Deshaun earns the job, then he earns the job. But he is our starter, Tom Savage is. And at some point, the way the offensive line played against Jacksonville, they just felt like this is the time we got to go with Deshaun because he can at least run away from the pressure a little bit, make something happen. And they haven't looked back, and they're not going to look back. And hopefully uh, this will be a situation where Deshaun is the quarterback here in Houston for a long time coming because if, he, if we get anything like we've gotten the last two, three weeks, uh, Houston's going to be set up for a good, long future here with Deshaun Watson, quarterback. And while that excitement is, is, is running throughout the city there in Houston when it comes to Deshaun Watson and finally having a quarterback that everyone can really be on board with, you end up losing two of your better defensive players on that side of the football in J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. Uh, give me your take on 
how tough is that going to be for this defense to really pick it up and, and, and pick up those pieces? Uh, Cordell, it's going to be tough. I mean, I, there's, there's no other way to say it. It's two guys that are the heart of your defense. That you can do so much with them. And I think part of the problem the other night against Kansas City, outside of the fact that Kansas City is completely the most explosive offense I think I've seen coming to NRT Stadium in a long time, there were a lot of scheme things that they had planned around Clowney, Merciless, and Watt in that game. And when those two went out of the game, they essentially became a team playing vanilla base for, the most, for most of the rest of the night because they put guys in there that were not accustomed to being in there, and they had to make sure that they just kept from getting killed. And so I think that was part of the thing. But what do they do now? I think now that they've got a week to prepare for Cleveland, then they got a bye week before Seattle, they've got some time to try and figure out. I think from a personnel standpoint, you can't replace them. You're going to find bodies to replace them, but can you find quality to replace them? No, not, not at that level. But I think what you're going to have to do is you're really going to have to move Jadeveon Clowney around the formation. You're going to have to scheme things up to get him free because teams are now just going to double chip. They're going to do whatever possible to take Jadeveon Clowney out of the mix. So from that standpoint, that the scheme is probably going to be the one thing where they end up getting to the quarterback, I hope, because if, if the scheme doesn't get him to the quarterback, I'm not sure personally which guy it's going to be, and that's going to end up being trouble because the secondary – Without A.J. Boye, we've been without Kevin Johnson. That was tough because you got Jonathan Joseph on the outside. He was dinged up a little bit in the game. It's tough with no pass rush. The secondary banged up. If you scheme some things up up front, you get Kevin Johnson back, you might be okay. You can't replace those two guys, but you just try. got to try and live life without them. Look, the Giants are dealing with Odell Beckham Jr. I remember the Packers in 2010. They had to deal with a bunch of injuries. It's the way of life in the NFL. you got to deal with it and move on. John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. John, we know what DeAndre Hopkins has been doing, instant chemistry with Deshaun Watson, but what has the return of Will Fuller from his collarbone injury meant for this offense? Uh, I think it's, it's indescribable what he's meant. I think it's just the ability, and Cordell could speak to this, how much a vertical threat can mean to everything in the offense. Those safeties have got to back up just a little bit, and that frees up the run game. They got to back up a little bit. That it, that opens up the intermediate passing game. So I think there is a lot that he means to this offense. And then beyond just being the threat of speed down the field is Will Fuller. He is a guy that's now being productive. He's making plays, whether it's catching it short and running with it, or it's going down the field. And I think the the touchdown catch he had the other day, going deep down the field, that kind of I think that will hopefully pop the top off what he can do because last year he got deep a couple times but he didn't catch the ball and I think that really eroded his confidence a little bit getting that deep one the other night I hope that's a sign they will continue to throw the ball deep and look when you got a guy like Deshaun Watson versus what the Texans had last year throwing the ball deep down the field you got a better opportunity because the ball is going to be where Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, Bruce Ellington can go make a play on the ball last year the ball would go three or four yards out of bounds or five to ten yards over receiver's head and you didn't have a chance to even make a play. This year, Deshaun's putting it in a spot where his receivers can go make a play. And with a guy like Will Fuller, all you got to do is throw to a spot, and he's going to go run and get it like he did the other night. It's, his value is immeasurable at this point. We found that out uh, when he got back for the Tennessee game last week. How happy is DeAndre Hopkins right now? <laughs> well, look, he just signed a, a mega deal. He's getting paid uh, you know, as a top wide receiver in the league. 
He's getting his targets. He's getting his touchdowns. I mean, he is – and plus he's catching the ball from a Clemson Tiger. I mean, he is absolutely thrilled right now in that he's getting – He's getting his targets, and he's getting those things to happen offensively. But DeAndre is upset because the team hasn't won games it should have won. Look, the Texans should have won that game in New England. And I don't think they should have won the other night, but they had an opportunity to because of the way the offense was playing. So he's frustrated because he knows this team should be at least 3-2. and two. It should be 4-1 and one, uh, if it had taken care of some business. But at this point, he's feeling good about what the offense is doing. And he knows, as the offense now knows, Hey, look, if it ends up being a shootout, 38-35, we can win that kind of game. That was not a kind of game, Cordell, that this team could win in years past. It had to win 21-14 or 17-12. Now it can win a game 38-35. It just has to finish it, and hopefully that'll start against Cleveland this coming Sunday. Chatting with John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network. Check out their outstanding content on the Texans team channel here on TuneIn. John, I know you're not the GM, but is there any optimism around the team there can be some kind of compromise to get Dwayne Brown to end his holdout. He needs to play at least eight games to get credit for the season to reach free agency. So possibly is the trade the ultimate outcome? Brian, I think the trade is the ultimate outcome. I hope I'm wrong about that. I just feel like there's nothing's been nothing's been done. I saw a tweet, I think it was Jake Laser the other day, and Dwayne's in the studio in L.A. as his team is getting ready to take on the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're going to face Justin Houston. I mean, that's a night that Dwayne Brown should live for, and yet he's in L.A. I, I think a trade is going to end up being the outcome. Now, to what team uh, the Seahawks make the most sense and the Texans could use uh, draft picks because they don't have a first or a second-round pick this year uh, with the Brock Osweiler and Deshaun Watson deals. So I could see that being an outcome. And, look, if he comes back, he ends up being a key piece on offensive line that has struggled, even with Deshaun doing what he's done. They've struggled up front. He's, Deshaun's faced a lot of pressure. But I just don't think that the outcome is going to be that he ends up playing for the Texans. I think he's going to end up playing somewhere else. I think that Rick Smith and the personnel staff will find a home for him. They'll find a deal to their liking, uh, I guess to everybody's liking. And then Dwayne will go on and he'll end up renegotiating a contract somewhere else. Seattle seems to make the most sense. I initially thought the Giants, but the Giants being 0-5 at this point, I don't know if it makes sense for them to make a deal. But I think ultimately the outcome, the outcome, in my opinion, will probably end up being a trade. And I know a lot of people in Houston agree with me on that point. It's just gotten to a point right now where I don't think he's going to come back anytime soon or come back to play for the Texans. How happy is Bill O'Brien when it comes down to now knowing uh, that he has a quarterback that's in a mix where he may have a play dialed up a certain way and to be able to ad-lib on some plays – it's something that this team has never had. I mean, this in, since it came into existence there in Houston with the Texans team, and to see you have a strong arm, smart kid, but most importantly, he's capable of moving out, moving out of the pocket to not run mostly, but try to get the ball downfield by finding a softer spot in the pocket. Well, I think when you're talking about Bill O'Brien, Cordell, he's never had a quarterback, be it at – the, with the Patriots or with Penn State or even up till now. He's never had a quarterback to be able to do this. And so we talked to him on his coach's show on Monday, and when we started talking to him about the scheme and what he's able to do and how innovative that he can get week in and week out, they're doing things. I remember we saw him do things in New England, and I'm looking around going, wait a second. They've got Bruce Ellington going in orbit motion. They've got, they've got zone reach fakes. They're faking reverses. I mean, they're doing things to buy him some time. 
as a coach, you love that. I mean, you love that. You love to be innovative, and he's loving that. The one thing you have to caution yourself against is make sure it's not too much. The good thing is with Deshaun Watson, you have a gym rat. The guy does not leave the building. He is always on top of his football IQ is off the charts. He doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get frazzled. He's up front with Bill O'Brien. And that's the other thing, too, because Deshaun came from a scheme like Clemson's. He can say to Bill O'Brien, hey, coach, we did this. This was sort of our wrinkle, or we would do it this way. And Bill O'Brien, to his credit, is listening to his rookie quarterback and taking that in and incorporating that into the offense. So they're calling the colleges. They're calling other NFL coaches that have done similar things and they're picking their brain. So Bill O'Brien loves this because he wants to coach. He wants to call ball plays. I mean, that's what a coach ultimately wants. He wants to coach his ball plays, and now he's finding some really cool ways to run those things and merge what he did with the Patriots and that offense and what he's now learning to do with Deshaun is make it for a nice marriage, at least up to this point. John, thanks for the visit. Great information as always. Look forward to chatting with you every week moving forward here on the NFL on TuneIn. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.